and welcome to the Sparkle Pod, Move It Mama's very own podcast. A community connected through exercise, but so much more. The Sparkle Pod aims to sprinkle a little bit of everything, from sparkle and sunshine to our daily grind and rigmaroles. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to our special Sparkle Pod. I just feel so excited about our podcast as we keep banging them out really quickly for you guys and we are getting such great feedback. Thank you for all the support and messages. Please keep them coming because they totally make our day. Today, we have a very special sissy coming to chat to you all about her journey since meeting our brother, Nick. Or new, for want of a better word. Sarah. (laughs) Sarah is a mother of two, one here with us Earthside, and one high up amongst the stars. We talk about how Nick and Sarah first met and their journey together as parents. I just want to let you know that in this episode, there might be a little, th- a little few things that might trigger some of you as we discuss infertility, miscarriage, and infant loss. Jess, are you there? I'm here, finally, and I'm back in the wardrobe from the beginning. I just have to maneuver. That is brilliant. Hobsey, are you there? I sure am, and I'm tucked up in all our clothes and shoes. Thankfully, I don't have a sense of smell because I'm very close to no shoes right now. Hey, speaking of speaking of sense of smell, like tangent from the get go, I've I'm feeling like I'm starting to lose mine a bit. Oh, really? Yeah, but that's actually been a month now, Jess. So you've lost it pretty much. No, I haven't. But like, I'm I'm definitely like not tasting things the way I did and stuff like that. I'm COVID free. I know quite that, a deal breaker but... for the Mitzies because the Mitzies are quite you know highly sensitive on their smell and taste. And highly yeah. into tasting and smelling mm. foods and, can, you know, yeah. Can you smell Nina's poo? Yeah, I can still smell that, but that is a significantly strong smell, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Okay, so just, like, what can we do about this smell? Hobbs, you can't smell, but you, you've had a few operations to try and get your smell back, eh, and it has not yeah. worked. I've had one operation, and... um. I just have back-to-back sinus infections, but I've just um, just about to finish a course of antibiotics. But, I mean, it comes and goes, and when it comes back, it's a real treat, you know, like to be able to smell mm. perfume and mm. cut grass and things like that. Um, but, I mean, it, I, I'm just used to it. It doesn't worry me anymore. And has it been all your life, though? Yeah, pretty much, I think. Um, like I never really remember being, you know, that much into food and taste and things. And I guess that's why, because I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't heightened. Like there's always a wee bit of taste, but as far as picking up hints of this and hints of that, it just doesn't do it. For, I just don't get it. So Jess, this is actually a real, this is a real mm. horrible problem for you. Because when you've been <laughs> smelling and tasting and what you're so into food... That's just really, really crap. So we might need to try and get you sorted. I find myself like still eating chocolate at night. Like that's a real thing that I don't, like I always do. And we've had quite a supply of chocolate lately. And I find myself eating it going like, why am I actually eating this? I actually can't even taste it. I can (laughs) feel chocolate because I can get the texture and stuff, but I'm like barely tasting it. Weird. Don't bother. Don't bother. (laughs) Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. I know. Okay. Stick with Sorry, what tangent I say. over. Okay, um, right. Um, darling Sarah Hobbs, mm. which you're actually Sarah Mitzi now, but we call you Hobbsy. Yes. Can you please just tell us when you met our brother 
And how did you meet? And how did your first meeting go? Lol. <laughs> oh, God. This is what you've been wanting to really do, isn't it? Just to get there. <laughs> um, so about five years ago, um, my sister and one of her very close friends, who is a mutual friend of Nick and I now, um, so they decided, or Lani decided that um, she knew a man and she knew a girl and they should just meet. And I wasn't into it. I was like, no, I've got my plan. And, you know, I didn't need to meet a guy. But anyway, I went along to this dinner at Lani and Graham's house with my sister Fiona, who was heavily pregnant. And I was extremely hungover. Um, my saving grace was that I had just been to the hairdresser, so I looked kind of half decent. But it was pretty bad to turn up with a bottle of ginger beer, and I think Nick's initial response to that was, what the hell, she doesn't drink, that's not going to work. Um, and But she looks quite good, so <laughs> we'll give it a nudge. And... Yeah, and I just thought, oh, it's not going to be a late night. Fiona's pregnant and I'm really hungover. And, but no, um, we probably Nick and I probably spoke a handful of words to each other the whole night. Um, the conversation just wasn't there for me, uh, I think because of that whole brain freeze of, of being so hungover. And, yeah, so knowing Nick as well as you guys do, it was his worst nightmare. Um, yeah. And I fell asleep on the couch even to the point where there was a little snuffle that was coming out, apparently. Um, so Going yeah, back Nick, to the sinus issue, are yeah, we? Clearly, it's, it's the sinuses. <laughs> <laughs> and so Nick clearly took that as an indicator of she's totally not keen. Um, yeah, so that was our first mate. And I think, mm. Lisa, you even said to him, oh, no, she's not worth it. If she can't even stay awake or she can't crack up a conversation, you don't need somebody like that. And um, Lani said to me, so do you want to, you know, do you want to see him again? I was like, well, I don't, don't even think that I really gave him a fair shot, Lani, so I probably should. <laughs> and so the next phone call to Lise was, um, oh, we're going out for a drink. So, yeah, and then it kind of just spiraled from there, which was good. It was easy. Second chances. It, Everyone it's needs so a second funny. chance. Absolutely. It's so funny hearing your story and, and knowing my story of this. Like, yes. It, it, there's a few, um, I don't know the word, Jess, film discrepancies. There's a few discrepancies, <laughs> yes, here. Uh, we won't talk about them, but, you know, I do remember Nick ringing me the next morning going, no, it's a no-go. Like, he didn't even say hi. He just went, no, no-go. And I was like, oh, no, really? And I had such high expectations about this, this blind dinner meeting because – I had stalked you and I had seen that your profile pic on Facebook was actually with a girl that I really, really loved and respected. That was one of my first sort of friends that I made in Christchurch. So I, it was all a bit, it was all a bit weird that it just didn't work out. And I, I was so shocked because I was sure this was a sign that Nick was, Nick is about to meet the love of his life. So um, I just think that's just hilarious that, you know, it was, he was yeah. so clear you were not interested. So I have this picture and visual of you rocking up to the dinner and absolutely not talking. He said to me you didn't even look him in the eye. Yeah, probably, probably. <laughs> did you tell him you were hungover though? Or did you try and pretend like you were sweet? No, I think that came up because um, I didn't want to drink, but it was one of those nights. And Lani and Graham are amazing hosts. So they cooked this amazing meal and I had a half a glass of red wine 
but it just never emptied because every mouthful I took, Lani would just top it up. So, you know, I, I guess I did drink myself to sleep again. And so, I, yeah, it, it was, it, oh, honestly, it was a shambles on my part. And I'm very, very grateful that your gorgeous brother gave me a second chance because yeah. I probably wouldn't have if the roles were reversed. Yeah, he's so cute because I remember him saying, oh, I might ring her. Apparently she's, oh, he rang me back at midday and said, oh, look, Lani's, Lani's rung me and said she's actually, she's interested and wants to meet me again. And I yeah. said, oh, well, leave that in her court. She can call you. Yeah. And Dan yelled out. I remember Dan yelling out, no, don't play games. If he wants to yes. see her again, he needs to do it. And so then he rang you and said, and, and you went for a walk with your dogs. I remember mm. that, eh? Yep, we did. And this so is reminding then, me, Lise. This, yeah. Sorry, this is reminding me of when you were telling me about Dan when you'd met him in London and you were reading out his text message replies. And I was like, oh, been him. Awful. Like, yes. the man can't even communicate over text. He's <laughs> Nothing's <not> changed. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's so true. Jess, I've got emails of that. This is totally off the, off the story. But um, you saying, no, get rid of him. Go with the basketballer. <laughs> Yeah, which isn't that hilarious because, like, you know, no man is going to tick or no partner is going to tick all the boxes, one of which is the text communication. And, I Mm. mean, you know, I pride myself on my communication, but sometimes I lack in the text part and tone and stuff like that. But, like, why would you put that on your list of criteria? You know, there's far more important fish to fry. Totally. So, um. So Hobbs, when you went for that walk with him, did you think like that week, I think you guys met up a few times quite quickly and that consecutively in that week, eh? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Can you tell me about sort of. Yeah. So we went for a walk and. um, Oh God. Yeah. So um, it was, again, it, it just took me a bit to get my head in the game because I mean, we can talk, a wee, I guess, a wee bit about my plan pre-nick, really, because, you know, I was, I was on this I was on this independent um, streak, really, that, you know, I'd built my house, not myself, a builder built my house. And, How old were um, you? Oh, God. So, like, 35, maybe? 35, yeah, 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 yeah. And so, you know, I'd, I'd had a few relationships and they hadn't worked out for whatever reason, typically being they didn't want to have children. Um and that was a deal breaker for me. Like it was a, a non-negotiable. So, mm-hmm. you know, if that came up and that was established, then I bailed really because I was like, well, I've got no time to waste. So um, I was kind of sick of, I guess, that whole feeling of brokenheartedness. And I put myself on the list for sperm donation. And I thought, I can do this myself. You know, how hard can it be? Um Little did I know that it is actually extremely difficult. But um, mm. I had I had done everything I needed to and um, was all set to go. And then I met Nick and it kind of threw a real spanner in my works because I didn't really let myself feel any feelings for, I guess, quite a while. And then um, he's just so freaking lovely that – I remember coming back from a meal date with him and this would have just broken him as well. Um, Again, I'm a bit of a bitch, let's just face it. And (laughs) he was dropping me. Yeah, but, you know, like that whole no filter sometimes and to my major detriment. And he was dropping me off after a dinner date and we'd had an awesome meal, easy conversation. Um, You know, he's not one to... Um, put himself outside his comfort zone but he really is quite capable of talking to 
to anybody. Mm-hmm. And um, he pulled up into the driveway, dropping me off. And I just got really nervous about, he's going to want to come in. Oh, you know, like that's going to mean mm. other things. And mm. he said, um, oh, you know, like, I actually really like you. And my response to that was, but you don't even know me. <laughs> yes, oh, I remember yes. that. That's and, classic. Yeah, but that's just such a bitch thing. <laughs> you mole it. My poor yes. brother, because do you know what? You probably were thinking, how, how is this person so nice? Because you know how you just don't trust. By the, Absolutely. By, the, by this point in your life, when you've had heartbreaks and you know, yeah. you're know you a bit older, you just think, well, what's wrong with you? Where, where are you going to show your true colours, buddy? Yeah. And it was just Maybe you saw easy. it as a compliment to get in your pants, though. Yeah. You're like, oh, you just want me to come in, mate. Yeah, I think, I think that, that's what I was thinking as well, part of me. Yeah. Um, and it was just all so easy, and I just thought it was just too good to be true. So, um, yeah. you know, the the brick wall around me was quite solid in its foundations. And so it took a bit for him to chip away. But once, you know, the first couple of bricks came down, it just sort of crumbled. And um, it sort of escalated quite quickly from there. Um, we'd been together for maybe six weeks and then I was off to the, a, a trip overseas to America, which had been planned for ages and it was like my dream trip. And so I was away for three weeks and that was probably the best thing for our relationship at that time because, you know, the heart wants what the heart can't have and um, mm. that distance was really good for both of us. And, yeah, so when I came back it was sort of like, start of October I think it might have been and it was just all in boots and all and we yeah we were doing the I love yous and this is only sort of a matter of four months into three months into our relationship I remember when you um sorry sounds a bit like Emma and Char and I mean we're not like we're not comparing relationships or anything but you know sometimes when you do meet someone and it is and I remember someone close to me telling me like it should be easy it shouldn't yeah. be really hard and coming from sort of not a relationship of games or anything like that but like you know the fact that it was easy straight away is I think a real telling sign and mm. how Shara and Emma also had that distance apart and that time apart for a while for you to go by the time that time is over oh my gosh I actually really want this and you know mm. Mm. Yeah, I remember when you went away and it it really missing you and me worrying because I didn't know you. I don't know if we'd met yet. I'm not sure. No, we didn't meet until Gramps's funeral. Oh, Mm. was it his funeral? Mm. Or did did you not meet Gramps alive? No, I didn't. Oh, gosh, I feel like you've been a part of the family for so long. Um, I remember, Nick, you were away with your best mate who's a male. And I obviously thought, oh, God, is is, is, they going to end up together? (laughs) Yeah, how yeah. ridiculous! But I, I know think, obviously um, a lot of people yeah. had thought that mm. since meeting. Okay, yeah, cool. and you know, yeah, yeah. No, you go. No, no, that's okay. I was just going to say it was kind of like traveling with a brother more than anything, and I think that's that was a good thing for Nick as well because it was you know trust is huge in a relationship, and I just mm. never really understood anyone thinking any differently because. Yeah, he is just like a brother. Mm. So anyway, and so um, I remember him ringing me up one day and going like, "Oh, um, Sarah's told me she's, uh, you know, wants she's on the list to for the donor list." Um, I'm not. I mean, I don't know. It's quite hard to get onto that list, eh? Like you have to meet the criteria and all that kind of thing. When did you feel like mm. you needed to d- disclose this with him? And 
did was that like a kind of a key point in your relationship when you both actually discussed it and realized that oh yeah maybe this is the real deal maybe we can give it a try yeah so um it, it was really early like within the first handful of dates um he had come to my house for dinner um it wasn't the day that I decided to cook lasagna which was an absolute shit show um it was steak <laughs> eggs and chips so it was a nice easy meal I'm Thank definitely no chef um and he's the sort of person that doesn't like the tv on when you're having dinner and I'm the person that likes to have it on so we muted it and um oh yeah I know and so we're sitting having dinner and it was oh absolutely and um there was uh, I just saw a sperm donor and it was on like Seven Sharp or the news or something like that. And I said, oh, look, do you mind if we just listen to this? And so <clears throat> I unmuted it and it was an article about, you know, a sperm shortage within New Zealand. And um, there's a lot of people on the sperm donation, sperm donation list as far as being a receiver and all the rest of it. So at the end of that article, um, Nick kind of looked at me as if to say, well, why did you want to listen to that? And I said, oh, I, pr I probably should let you know that, I am actually on that list um, and I have been for probably about 18 months by this point and he was like oh yeah oh yeah cool all right and I said because you know I really would like to have children obviously and this was going to be a solo journey um, and I said you know is, is children something that you and he goes absolutely I've always wanted to have children it's something that I've always known I've wanted and yeah, and it kind of just progressed from there. So I don't know if we really had that discussion around um, we'll have babies together. It just kind of evolved from there. Yeah, I remember um, him talking yeah. to me about it. And I said it was such an amazing thing. Like, it was such a great like, attribute to, mm. you, to you because it showed that you were strong and independent and you knew what you wanted and you knew you could do it on your own. And that's such an attractive trait. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Okay, so you then you decided you wanted to make babies together. Mm -hmm. So did you um, did it take you a long time to conceive Stanley Chops? Um, probably not really. It was a little bit of a journey. So we did have um, one miscarriage before Stanley, um, and that was quite early in you know in our relationship. So it was probably at about the um, five five-month mark and so we conceived Stanley pretty much straight away after that miscarriage and um, it just all felt so natural for us um, and the pregnancy was pretty perfect as far as any pregnancy goes um, and I was still working full-time and, and quite a good job as well. <laughs> Sorry, there, I think you were doing something with your hand, and it was making it the other hand, and it was oh, making sorry. a real bad noise. Your that oh, yeah, hand, sorry. you were doing something. Sorry. Okay, so anyway, you were saying, um, and yeah, so obviously had Stanley. He came along in November, uh, two thousand and seventeen, and it was such a impact on both of us. You know, like it wasn't a pretty straightforward delivery. It was a three day labour. Um, oh sorry two day he, we, I went into labour on his due date the 12th of November and he was born on the 14th of November uh, and he was delivered via forceps and that was quite gruelling. Oh, 
I remember this chat going down when you were in labour and it was disgusting. And we were yeah. Like, Has she done it yet? Has she done it yet? Absolutely. And because you guys Crikey. were all in South Africa for Jesse's oh, wedding. Oh, gosh. It was so horrible. everyone was sort of on a knife edge. And I remember saying to Nick, just stop replying. Just stop replying. You know, like <laughs> psycho woman in labour. Um, but mm. tell them when the news has come because it's just so horrible being on the other end, isn't it, waiting for the updates and um, – Anyway, so yes, we Stanley made his entrance into the world as we now know Stanley would because of his personality and, and who he is. Yeah, <laughs> he likes Chopsy's to make nearly it, four eh, yes, in November. He'll be four. He's he's four in November, and he is honestly the most extroverted child, I think. And I think it shocks Nick sometimes as far as how <laughs> epic he is in, is in regard to that. Um, well, let's just caveat the fact you know, that Nick, us, sorry, Nick just have to say that Nick is the most oh. introverted child yes, adult. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Nicholas Mouse in his mouse house was mm. his little name as a kid, hiding in his mother's <laughs> skirt every time they were at a public appearance. Oh, gosh. So I wonder where he gets the extrovertedness from. <laughs> yeah, his, his aunties, obviously. <laughs> Auntie Lee's. Hey, um... Okay, so I just think we just want to take you back to like you guys were only together about five months, but how mm. cool is it that you can meet someone and know straight mm. away, well, when you let yourself feel things, that mm. you guys are right? And when you did start trying, I, I totally, it wasn't like, oh, they're trying already. It was totally natural. It was mm. so normal and it was so great. And I loved that about that. We all did. And so it just mm. goes to show it doesn't matter. Hey, it's just like if you meet the right one, then the right, that, that's, what, that's what happens. And it's just, just natural. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was also like, I don't know, for me, meeting Nick's family, um, you know, Shah came very quickly in our relationship and did the whole sussing me out on behalf of the sisters. Yeah. I remember and that, that was yeah, and that was quite cool because um, you know, let's face it, she's pretty easy to get along with, isn't she? So mm. I remember her and I meeting during one of my work days at a cafe in Wanaka. Um, and she was almost like, so, you know, what, what are your intentions with Nick? <laughs> was she hilarious? She's was a bit of a detective. <laughs> yeah. You know, and she does it in the shower way of she's a very good questioner and listener. And, you know, she'll ask the right questions and just wait and listen. And, and then she'll probe a little bit further. And you just find yourself, I don't know, like just blubbing everything out to Giving her. her information. Yes. Yeah. I was actually quite jealous when she met you first. <laughs> that doesn't sound like you, Liz. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound like you at all, and it doesn't sound like you would have loved that role. <laughs> well, I was quite annoyed because I felt um, like I should have been the first because of Mel. So I was like, that's just so typical. Yeah, I'm I know, with our connection. <laughs> oh, Lace. Well, yeah, we, uh, we're all left out of different things. We established on your wedding anniversary that I wasn't invited to your wedding. So, you know, we each have our turn. Oh, we're not even going to go down that avenue. Anyway, okay, right, darling. So you had your beautiful son, Stanley Chops, who we all know and love with mm. all of our hearts, and he is a very big part of our family. Um, when did you decide after having him that you wanted to have another baby? Um, well, I think we always knew that we wanted to have more. It was probably more about being ready um, because anyone, I guess, who's been through a bit of a traumatic birth knows that it can scar you, both of you. Um, and so 
for us it it didn't it wasn't something that happened immediately like I just I couldn't even be intimate with Nick for a good maybe two or three months three months I just and you know I don't mind saying that um I think we need to talk more about that side of it for women um and Mm. that that's totally okay so I guess um we decided so he was born in the November and we decided probably on nearly a year later that you know we would start trying because we thought a two-year age gap would be nice Mm. um and we did conceive quite quickly once we decided that we would start actively trying and unfortunately I had another miscarriage um these miscarriages I mm. haven't had a miscarriage and neither has Jess mm. were they difficult to deal with like the first one before Stanley and this one was it painful was it emotionally unsettling were you mm. crying were, you know was it difficult yeah so the first one was a bit of a a, 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 an anomaly I think because um, we had had like five positive pregnancy tests at home and if you're anything like me you're a bit obsessive about that so you pee on a stick every five minutes and mm. um, by the time we got to the doctors to do the doctor's test there was no positive and so it was almost a bit crazy yeah and it was almost like a bit of a false pregnancy in some regards but Mm -hmm. you know the fact that we had had five positive tests at home and I bought the tests with us after a while like because we'd had a couple of doctor's appointments and had a scan and and there was no real sign of anything in my uterus so that first one was a bit strange on the mind you know like it was a bit of a mind shuffle Um, did you bleed yes I did I did, but it was just like a period, that one. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So then when we had Stanley and then the second miscarriage, it was pretty horrible because it was over that Christmas period and we were in Christchurch with the Mitzi Christmas. And it was just, you know, public holidays and shutdowns. And so it was a mm-hmm. lot of waiting and unknown. And again, I'm extremely impatient and I just need to have my plan and everything has to go Mm. according to that plan. Mm. So Mm -hmm. that was just quite disrupting um, emotionally and physically. And so we probably got to about the eight-week mark and I miscarried. Um, And that went according to plan as far as the miscarriage goes, so I didn't need any medical intervention or anything else. Um, And then we waited a cycle and then we conceived Sophia. So um, April, May of 2019 um, was when we conceived our wee girl. Um, and, you know, that was, again, another textbook's pregnancy. Um, I decided this time, because we were only going to have two children, that um, we would do a gender reveal. So we do mm. the 10-week test, um, the Illumi test, so you can find out, I guess, any um what is it, congenital issues that you might have mm. as far as Downs and all the other sort of syndromes that you can test for. And you also find out their gender. And so Nick went to Queenstown. He got the results because he's a bit of a control freak as well. So he had the result. He went to Queenstown, got the balloon and came back. And my sissy was here and she recorded it with Stanley and Nick and I. And I popped the balloon and it was just this massive explosion of pink confetti. And it was just like, 
all my dreams came true mm. in like mm. a two second period that mm. we've got this beautiful boy and we're going to have this beautiful girl and it's going to be a perfect, mm. you know, because her due date was my birthday. Mm. Um, mm. And it was just perfection. It was an exact almost two year age gap. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was conceiving Sophia. Um, do you want me just to continue with yeah, so um, I remember that balloon popping and it was so exciting mm. and thinking of a like little mini, not, well, obviously mini you, but also a little mini girl of new, like so cute because um, mm. Stanley is such a character and just you've got such a, you know, you guys are so amazing. But um, so I remember at about 18 weeks you went for a scan and you went for your routine scan and they said you need to go straight to Christchurch, I think. Did they? Yeah. So the way that panned out, it was, you know, it's your 20-week scan. I, yeah, like you say, we were in there at about, um, well, I've got the images and it's like 19 weeks and three days or something like that. And um, anyone that's sort of been through this sort of situation where, you know, you're lying there, you're scanning, you're hearing the heartbeat and everything that you see on the screen just looks perfection. Mm. And then you look across at the sonographer, the radiographer, and her face just dropped. And Fiona, my sister, was in the room with Stanley and obviously No was there as well. And she spent a long time just scanning um, a certain part of Sophia's brain. And I just looked at her, I said, Bex, what's happened? And she goes, okay, so um, I'm just not seeing what I need to see here. Oh, my gosh. I've got goosebumps. Yeah, and it was just the look on her face accompanied with, I mean, she was amazing at how she delivered the the information. She said, but I think what you might need to do is go to Dunedin where they've got the better technology for scanning. And I was like, oh, okay, so can you tell me what we're dealing with? Hmm. And she said, um, you know, her your wee girl's brain hasn't developed the way it's supposed to and it's being it sits it's sitting a bit lower in her um, cerebral cortex, which um, is conducive to spina bifida. And I just you know, like for me those words just didn't really make sense. No. And Again, you know, like your bladder's bursting because you have to have a full bladder. And she said, look, I really just need you just to go and empty your bladder and have a bit of time. And I just remember going to the toilet and just bawling my eyes out because this wasn't the news that we wanted, you know. Like Mm. this isn't what you expected to hear Mm. or see. And so um, where we live, obviously, in Wanaka is quite isolated as far as the medical side of it goes, but um, we were prepared to go to Dunedin, and then we had the phone call from Dunedin saying, look, we're actually transferring your case to Christchurch, to the fetal medicine unit up there. So we packed up the family, the three of us, and we go to my parents' house in Geraldine, um, brace ourselves for what's going to be a pretty shitty time um get to Christchurch and get to your mum and dad's house and leave Stanley with them um and go to the fetal medicine unit where they scanned me for 45 minutes um they were also concerned about Sophia's heart and yeah so that's when um we were delivered the devastating news of her heart was fine um but it was an extreme case of spina bifida where um, typically in a baby 
the there's a sheath over so the spina bifida is where the the back just hasn't closed up so there's a gap where it exposes the spinal cord um Mm -hmm. and there's usually a sheath over that spinal cord and our baby didn't have that so there was a really 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 high risk of any sort of infection um that you know as soon as if, if we carried her to full term, she would have to go straight to surgery. There would be a really high risk of infection. On top of that, um, the fluid sacs in her brain should have been measuring at around 7 millimetres and she was at 15. Um, so therefore her brain wasn't able to develop the way it's supposed to and they couldn't tell us whether or not that was going to keep happening as far as those sacs building up. Um, and so, you know, they gave us both scenarios of if you continue with your pregnancy which you can and deliver your baby um you just need to be prepared for a child that will never be able to walk or use her legs um Mm, darling and she'll never have um control over her bladder Mm. and it was just pretty horrific as far as Mm. the scenario that they're picturing Mm. and um i'll never forget the um the obstetrician who was delivering the news was about eight months pregnant. Oh, oh, she had this beautiful belly, and I just kept staring at it, just you yeah. know, going, "Why can't my baby be perfect?" Yeah. You know, yeah. and all of those scenarios playing out in your head. And so we were left um, in the room for however long we needed, Nick and I, and we just we just cried as you would, um, and. We for oh, us, I guess. Oh, Sarah. There was there was no there was no real choice for us. We just had to do what was best for Sophia and best for our family, um, because unfortunately we are later in the years of our life as far as having babies, and we just knew that if she came into this world, um, we would love her and fill her bucket as big as it could possibly be, but then when we're no longer around, that sits with Stanley. And yes, I we, remember that you. We just couldn't make that choice for him. Mm-hmm. So um, we made the devastating decision to bring her into the world at 20 weeks and five days. Um, and I remember um, really clearly going back to your mum and dad's house and, you know, looking at her photos of the scans and stuff and you know, we just sort of had our moments and Mal came over and we um, cried and talked and cried and talked and just consoled each other. And I, you know, she bought wine, but I still couldn't drink. Like I just couldn't no. bring myself to have a drink. Mm. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> then we went to Dunedin um, and I, I just remember um, mum and dad and my sister were there and that first tablet that they give you it's mm. supposed to basically um, tell your body to stop giving all the nutrients to the baby and to stop the pregnancy. And we had all the information and all the advice basically saying, so, you know, at this stage of gestation, um, your baby won't survive labour. I was like, okay, because that's my dad's worst fear. Um, mm. You know, we talked as a family unit about our worst fears because everyone was there when I delivered her. And Dad's was that she would survive and what would happen. And they said, it's just not, it's not an option. Like, she just won't survive. I didn't realise that was your Dad's atmosphere. No, I didn't know that either. Yeah. And um, so we felt 
you know, as at peace with this decision as you possibly could. So we had a beautiful delivery room, same room that Stanley was delivered in, in Dunedin oh, Hospital. Um, wasn't the most amazing experience as far as Dunedin Hospital goes, but that's kind of consistent for us in that facility. Um, mm. And, yeah, I just, it was, they induced me, obviously, and um, it was quite intense. Nobody ever once told me that my cervix will only ever have to dilate three to four centimetres for her to come out because of her size. And um, I remember going to the toilet, just feeling this immediate pressure on my bladder, and I went to the toilet, and then I just felt her coming down the canal, and Mm. um, I caught my baby as she was born. And Nick felt, was in there with you, eh? Yeah, well, he was, yes, because he was always worried every time I went to the toilet if something yeah. was going to happen. Mm. And mm. Um, I just remember holding her and her feeling super warm, like the the her whole um, body was just so tiny, it just fitted in my hand mm. and um, felt warm and I felt her move. Mm. And mm. I didn't really register that at the time. Midwife came in and... Um, took Sophia and we sorted myself out because everything comes away as normal you know my placenta came out straight away and that was all fine Mm. um and we walk out and we're in a circle around Sophia and the midwife and she said did anyone talk to you about the possibility of her being alive and and I just said no they categorically told me that that's just never an option like it's not an option you know mm. they don't survive at this stage mm. and she said okay well she is and I just oh, felt like gosh. I just had made the wrong decision I just felt like mm. what the fuck yeah. have I done yeah sorry swearing um and You're I allowed. just looked at dad <laughs> looked at dad and I just said I'm just so sorry and oh, we just I said I need to hold her I need her in my arms and yeah yeah so we had our beautiful girl, and um, she gave us the biggest gift that she could ever give us, and that was um, 50 minutes. Mm. And Sarah, do you th- – sorry. No, do you think your dad um, appreciates that he got that time with her being alive now? 100%. Like, yep. We yeah, talked about, about that so many that. times. Yep. And yeah. he, he said to me, um, please know that, uh, you know, this has just been – you know, it's been amazing to be able to tell her that we love her and to be able to kiss her and know that she can, well, in our mind, that she can feel it and she mm. can sense it and she can hear it. Yeah. Um, whether she could or not, we don't know. But, yeah, so we got 50 minutes to hold her and read her the cards from you guys that you'd written and the mm. letters and tell her about Stanley and, yeah, and then our wee girl – got her wings and she flew away Mm. I'm gonna cry now um (laughs) like that time I know was obviously like the worst time of your life yeah and everyone deals with things differently and like how have you managed to you know, go forward, move forward with this. Like with her, I know that you um you got some special you got her little feet in a little um ceramic kind of you got them molded. Cast, yeah, castings. Yeah. So there's this amazing um foundation called A Star is Born. And my sister organized this for us and it's um it's 
fully funded and we got castings of her little hands and feet and a professional photographer who I knew and she came and photographed us with Sophia um, and they don't and then the girl who did her castings I knew her as well so that was and that was just by pure coincidence um, and then I also got what's called a love loop which is a necklace with a ring on it and it's got Sophia Mitzi and her date of birth hmm. so um Yes, and I also have a little vial that I have on my necklace that I wear every single day, um, and it's got a wee few ashes from Sophia Mm, because we had her cremated. Um, Mm. And, you know, like it, it's definitely the toughest journey that I have ever, ever been on and will continue to be on. I don't think it's ever going to be over. Um, It's just, you know, my my view of it or my um, processing of it, I guess, gets a little easier, could I say? I don't Mm -hmm, know if mm -hmm. it's easier or if it just, my coping is a bit better. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, one of the toughest things was carrying her out of that hospital because you're in the maternity ward and, um, you know, walking down that corridor and here's a new dad with his beautiful baby Mm -hmm. in his arms and, we're carrying ours out in this little flax woven casket, really. Um, mm. So, you know, there was lots of those sorts of moments and it was a real journey of, you know, anger and bitterness and um, why me and why us? You know, this just doesn't happen to us. This doesn't touch our family. This usually happens to other people. Um But, you know, for me, there's been a lot of reading, a lot of researching, a lot of talking, a lot of listening, Um and it's learning yeah and it's just ongoing you know and you've just got to find what works for you um one book that really worked for me was what abby taught us oh um, yeah 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 and she's done some amazing ted talks about resilience and grief and she just really speaks my language so yeah she was um quite a big i guess therapy outlet for me She's yeah. amazing. I like. There's a few yeah. things. She's. She. You know how you said why me? You were thinking that obviously because when when bloody all hell falls around you, you think that why me? Why is this happening? And she, I've heard her say like she tries not to think why me, yeah. and she, it's happened. So she needs to just you know try and think what's going to heal her and or what's going to harm her, and she thinks about her actions and tries to always say like is this going to hurt me or like you know harm mm. me or is it going to help heal me. Yeah, she also and, talks about um grief, grief like being like a. Does she is is it her about you know how it can just? It's not like it gets easier because you you he, sort of hesitate to say that it's easier. It's not easier. It's just that it comes and goes and waves and some days yeah. it's like it ambushes you and yes. then other days yeah it's just different but it's not necessarily easier. Yeah, yeah, and I think um again you know for people who have gone through a similar experience that men and women grieve so differently and this has taken me a very very long time so you know we just had Sophia's second birthday the 15th of August and um for me my grief is still daily you know Mm -hmm. like it's Mm -hmm. always there I think about her all the time all the time I know you do and um and but I love that I love how present she is for me and I guess for Nick um he has dealt with it in a different way and he's I guess moved his focus to me to make sure I'm okay Mm. um and you know when they first say to you 
you know, you're at high risk of becoming um, a couple that separate because of the situation you've gone through, the journey you've gone through. And initially I was like, oh, no, that's not us. We talk, we're strong, um, mm. we've done this together, we're both grieving really hard. But it's now that I get it. You know, two mm. years down the track where it's still really raw for me and Nick's just at a different stage of grief. Um, mm. his, I feel like, you know, our, our boats have moved a little bit apart as far as mm. our journey goes. But I think my only piece of advice for any couple that have gone through or going through is just that talking. You know, Nick's not a big communicator, um, but I almost have to beat it out of him. So, mm. you know, it, it's about trying not to lash out at the other person but just say my ship's sinking I need yeah. you you know like I need you to yeah. throw me float. A, yep throw me a life raft because I'm going down and you're not with me I think it's nice of you I think it's nice that you uh or, or helpful possibly that you're aware of it and use that analogy for yourself though and I think mm. um the fact that you just said his grief you know his is focused on me now looking after me like mm. that's a really nice positive way to think about it mm. yeah yeah um so Sarah the, this was two years ago and mm. I know how I mean we you know as us as a family we know how much you guys want another little baby for your family and Stanley to have a brother or a sister mm. um, and we know that you've been struggling to conceive again or not mm-hmm. yeah do you mind sort of opening up a little bit about that just in the hope that it might resonate with some of our listeners and they feel less alone because I know after being with you along this mm-hmm. journey like there is so much of this going on but we don't really hear a lot about it yeah sure yep and I'm always open to talking about it. Um, so, yes, um, probably, oh, nearly this time last year. It did take us a long time after Sophia. Well, no, it didn't really. I shouldn't say it, take, it took us a long time. Like you say, we knew that we wanted um, another child because we wanted um, a living brother or sister for Stanley. He knows he's mm. got a wee sister. We talk about it mm. all the time, um, that she's up in the stars with Grandpa Bruce. and. Yeah, so, you know, he, and he's so funny. Like I say to him all the time, do you want another little brother or sister? And he'll go, yeah, um, a sister. <laughs> and I'm like, a sister. he goes, I go, yeah, but you've got one. He goes, oh, yeah, but that one died, so I'd like another one. Oh, he's so practical. <laughs> you know, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, okay, sorry about that, mate. You know, sorry. <laughs> oh, but, like, that's so cute. And it just lightens, you know, absolutely. And it lightens mm. me and it lightens my mood. So, yes, um, <clears throat> we were trying for a good year by ourselves just to try and conceive again and nothing was happening. And I think a big mixture of me not having space in my heart for another baby, the grief journey was so raw, mm. Um, and also it was so consuming or is consuming, you know, when you're trying to have a baby and something you really, really want. So we sought help. Um, October last year, we went to Fertility Associates and um, I had been doing, you know, like the acupuncture and um, going to a naturopath. So I was going down that natural pathway because that's, I guess, my go-to um, to then sort of be told that, you know, really our only hope of getting pregnant is doing full-blown IVF was just a full 180 for me and I just didn't know if I could do that. So I opted to do the letrozole option, which is it's a tablet that you take at a certain time in your cycle 
it's just a softer approach, I guess, as far as the drugs concerned going into your body. And after, on the second month, we actually conceived and we were excited, anxious, nervous, unsure, you know, the whole emotions that came over us. And unfortunately for us, it was around that same time of Christmas and it was another Mitzi Christmas. So we were in Christchurch Mm. and um, same sort of delays. My hormones just weren't going up the same, the right way in which they're supposed to and we got to nine weeks and I ended up having to go to Dunedin to have a procedure done um, where they removed the pregnancy because it was non-viable. That was mm. pretty soul-destroying um, and, and it would have triggered a lot just of takes my grief there. journey. Yes, absolutely and it triggered so much and at that time we made the stupid call of mum coming with me to Dunedin and Nick staying home with Stanley. No idea why we did that, but um, that just really didn't do us any favours as far as a couple. He should have been with me. We should have just gone, what the heck? Anyway, um, so yes, that was um, a miscarriage. And then um, we conceived again, um, and that was March, April, and literally got to like five weeks and miscarried quite heavily um so we've had two consecutive miscarriages really in a short space of time um so that was all doing um letrozole and actually our last miscarriage was a natural conception um and we were due to start the injections for um a full IVF round and that delayed it because we had miscarried so um since then we've actually done two full rounds of IVF where because of my age and my AMH levels um the the results haven't really been what we'd like so both times we just got one egg and the first time it fertilized abnormally um and that was just just devastating you know like Mm. you pin all your hopes on the medical side of it to make it all happen but really it just comes down to the biology doesn't it and Mm. um my yeah my wee egg didn't fertilize normally and so that was discarded the second time um the sperm and the egg didn't like each other and they didn't fertilize at all so that's just what they call the rate of attrition you know um some women get 10 eggs and only five fertilized so um yeah so we are due we we were actually due to do a third and final round which was what we decided our our final round we were due to start that um last Tuesday or Wednesday and that's when we went into lockdown and okay so we actually decided to call it um and have a month off so we're having a month off and Mm. um we will do our third and final round in my next and cycle. How do you mentally prepare yourself for possibly maybe it being the same as the first two yeah. rounds? Like how are you going to – like yeah. I, talking about this makes me worry, worry for you guys, worry for obviously your mental health as well. Mm. Mm, absolutely. And, I mean, like I sort of touched on earlier, I do kind of reach out to the alternative methods. So I have had a psychic reading um, and not that I believe every single word or that it's gospel, but it has just, I guess, given me a little bit more hope. So it, for me, it's just about having that mental game in check. Mm. Um, and I do feel like I am mentally strong. I just, and it's, 
trying to calm myself um, and not be so obsessed and consumed by it all, which Mm. is much easier said than done. Mm. But just trying to be as present and grateful for the journey we have. We have two children. Um, You know, we... Our, our wee girl has a birth certificate, unfortunately a death certificate as well. But, you know, so we do have two babies um, and, you know, Stanley is a handful. So our journey will be what will be. Um, yeah. I do believe that, you know, she, the psychic could see a wee girl, um, but she couldn't tell me whether it was Sophia or a new baby. So mm. who knows? Who knows? Mm. Well... What a story. What a journey. What an adventure. I do think, like, Mm. thank goodness for Stanley Chops because he is just so hilarious that he's, like, the perfect child for you guys in in this situation, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. And, you know, it would be equally great. But, yeah, what will be will be. And um, I think we're both totally okay with whatever happens as an outcome. I was thinking when, like, uh, 10 minutes ago, like, damn it, I wish that this finished on, like, a, a, you know, a celebration of, like, some great news. But hopefully we will get there at some point. Yes. Um, okay. So, Hobsey, I just want to say we're so proud of you and the willingness that you wanted to be on this podcast today and share your, like, story of heartache and obviously, you know, there's good that has come with it, but to be open and vulnerable and um and hope that it will help other people as well because that's always the aim of the the Mm. fact and move it mama we're always very real and we're very open with what's going on so and I know a lot of people are going to feel see a lot of value in this um this chat so thank you and we're so grateful to have you you're very welcome can I can I interject with a couple of questions yeah Mm -hmm. go Oh, I just I feel like it might be helpful for someone anyway, but you just mentioned as well, like you feel like you're mentally strong and I would say you're mentally strong too, but um and you lean to natural things or to other alternative methods and stuff like that. So could you talk maybe tell us a bit about what sorts of things you might do to look after your mental health through this? Yeah, sure. Um so for me it's reading um I read and I have audiobooks they are my kind of escape I guess a wee bit from my reality um I love the creative side of um life you know so I do like making things and that for me has been really good therapy just a bit of a an outlet um Mm. but exercise um has and you know I'm not on here to plug move it mama but you know like it has (laughs) been yeah okay then while I'm here I might as well um you know like it has been a major outlet um whether it's you know walking up a mountain or um just being up on the ski field or doing a 20 minute um burn and I am that person that you know very rarely does the finisher so (laughs) you know and I and I own up to that I'll own it um it was when Shah said to me Hobsey it's just another minute I'm like yeah 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 but it's 20 and I'm done at 20 (laughs) so um yeah so exercise walking fresh air and talking um and embracing those relationships around you so not everyone's going to understand your journey 
Um, so it's up to you as to whether you want them to understand that. Um, my sister has by far been my 100% rock in this whole thing um, and just leaning into that and let people help, you know, they feel helpless. Uh, so don't let don't let that bog you down. Um, just talk to those who you feel most comfortable talking to. Nobody's going to understand it. It is a very lonely, lonely journey. Um, I'm not somebody who has joined any groups or anything. Uh, I just lean into the family and yeah, that's, you know, I've got a very dear friend who lost her mother um, and, you know, she feels like maybe sometimes that that was her purpose, having gone through what she went through to then help Mm. me. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So if, if this helps just one person to talk, then, you know, that's that's achieved. That's my goal achieved. Mm, I think you've achieved. You know, I'm just thinking about people that are going to be listening to this. I'm sure you will have helped quite a few people. Yeah. And don't look at what social media. Say? It's not all. It's not all buckets of rain, rainbows and sunshine. No. you know, it's, no, <laughs> it's shit. What it's yeah. highlights. It highlights. What would you say yeah. to someone that is listening who might be in a similar situation, or they don't have children at all yet, or they haven't mm-hmm. had, you know, might not have conceived, or what? What do you would you say anything to them? Yeah, I mean, I, for me, I mean, I can only go from my journey I guess and I just haven't been prepared to give up Um, and I think that you will know when you're ready to give up Mm -hmm. and I just haven't been so I've chosen to to read and to research and to listen to people who have been 44, 45, 46 and conceived you know I'm going to be what am I 43 at the end of the year you're Um, 42 so yeah so you know for me it's it's trying to remove all of those obstacles from your mind. So don't let age be a number. Don't just it is just a number. Don't let it be an obstacle, um, and just keep trying. You know, acupuncture, alternative therapies. Um, talk to people at Ivy if you have a thirty minute consultation for free. If you want fertility advice, you know they do know um, the science behind it all. But I mean, yeah, just don't give up. Just keep hoping and and working towards your goal is what I would say. I have one more question. Have I got time? Yeah, sure. Um, what would you say to so this and this is off the back of me being um like not very good at difficult conversations, which you'd probably know. It's like for people who, you know, talking is so important and you're someone and I know I've got other friends, I'm not gonna put them in the same basket as you, but you know, if we if we generalize and say having fertility have, have had fertility struggles and stuff um mm. and it's really hard to know what to say and I know that there are things that people do say that are the wrong things and I know that I feel like what the heck can I possibly say and what mm. what nothing's going to help so is there any advice that you'd give to these people that might feel a bit like me too often you know of like to the support crew what do you do yeah. yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I think is it, it, it's just for me. It's knowing that I've got people, so it doesn't have to be words. It could just be you know just send that person a love heart emoji. And for me, receiving mm. that, I know that you're thinking about me, and whether it's me or Sophia or our journey or whatever. Mm. And it just doesn't have to be um, 
very philosophical and, and trying to right. have the right words to say. Just try and take yeah. that pressure off. Um, so as a support crew, it, that's all it is, is just to be there, you know, like I think that something is better than nothing. And I think I've said that before because I do know, Jess, it is, it's hard because I have been on the outside of it and you just think, what the hell can I do mm. to take that pain away? Mm. Um, and unfortunately, there is nothing um, that you can do just to be there and be a shoulder to cry on and an ear to listen. So, mm. yeah, as long as I, they know that you're there. Yeah. yeah. I have you heard, like, uh, just like, you know, um, our mum's mum died when mum was 20 and also mm. th- from people I've listened to talk about grief, um, a lot of people, a lot of the support crew don't say all the friends don't actually are so awkward about it that they don't say anything mm. and that's really hurtful so as much mm. as it's really hard just try and say something and I think I think mm. just what you were going down on that question was is there anything that you just don't want to hear is that what you kind of meant Jess um I feel like there will probably be always things you don't yeah, I know hear. but I so, think Sarah's so that's saying what I oh yeah and I always get, um, at least you've got Stanley. Well, I yeah. know that I have yeah. Stanley. I know yeah. that I have him, but I wanted yeah. Sophia as well. You know, like yeah. that was yeah. our journey. That was our dream. And yeah. it's not so, just because I, you know, don't stop me grieving for the baby I don't have because mm. I've got Stanley. I totally mm. am grateful for what I have. But, you know, um, there's a big chunk of my heart now missing forever. So, yeah. and I guess also... There are going to be, um, and I know that um, some of your family members will probably listen to this and understand <laughs> that, you know, grief comes in all shapes and sizes and I lashed out. There was a, a real angry phase in my grief journey and um, unfortunately some people bore the brunt of that and it's just forgiveness. It's, you know, let yeah. that let that be part of that person's journey try not to judge or hold on to it because they just have to move through it as well Mm. um Mm. that's a good and that's really good to hear that yeah and from my perspective also I think I drank too much you know alcohol's (laughs) no good for grief so it's a monster you know (laughs) hey you're always learning you know like Um, give yourself a break a bit too I think it's telling though that you know we can't as you said you don't it's your journey and like Mm. you can't always understand everyone's feelings or reactions or grief or anything like you just can't until you go through it eh, I think Mm. and and, and until perhaps you go through the exact same thing which often Mm. is never going to happen so Mm. I think it's about just this in the same way that we don't just walk out on the street and make judgments on everyone because everyone has a story and it's about just listening to them and accepting their story without judgment totally Totally. Absolutely. Okay well thanks so um, much (laughs) to see for sharing what a an, an, an amazing story and a very sad sad story but we hold hope too and we are very grateful for you to share it to the sparkle pod <laughs> hey you. um just a heads up to anyone out there that's feeling alone or you're going through infertility struggles maybe miscarriage or infant loss or anything else that's just really really hard make sure you reach out to someone or we're always around if you need to message us or we could try and put you into with the right people to help you. 
So, yeah, just uh, once mm-hmm. again, thank you so much, Hobsey. We love you and we're proud to have you part of our family. And go on and follow your dreams. Yeah, thanks, ladies. Thank you. Love you guys. All love right. You too. Bye. Thanks. See ya. Thanks for having us. Bye. 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 Bye.